I'm pretty sure the only reason that I agree to do this episode is because there are multiple interesting rap references. <laughs> and let's talk about this. East Coast versus West Coast rap. Carla, where do you stand? Uh, smack in the middle of the country. I, I don't have an opinion on this. I like rap. I like rap a lot, but I'm not like super into it where I could tell you the details of like who lives where and what rivalries exist. And I just flat don't know. I'm crushed. <laughs> I'm so crushed. You can't possibly be surprised at that. No, I'm not even a little bit. Geography is not your strong point. It's okay. <laughs> Welcome to Pennies and Popcorn, the show about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. With your hosts, Carla Cash and Robert Davidson, a couple of personal finance geeks and movie lovers. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode on the 2002 movie about a boy. I really like this movie and it's very heavily related to the topic of financial independence. So I'm super excited to dig into this film today. I am not that excited about it. This is not my favorite Hugh Grant movie. (laughs) It's no Notting Hill, folks. I mean, I actually think I like it better than Notting Hill. Blasphemy. No, I really do. It's so good. The cast is fantastic. You've got Hugh Grant, Tony Collette, Rachel Weiss, um, and that weird kid. Nicholas Holt. Yeah, who went on to become a great adult actor as well. What else is he in? Uh, he was in that show The Great on Hulu. Um, I think he was in some kind of like X-Men stuff, something to that, I don't know, some sort of Marvel superhero thing that we didn't see. But I think he's done well as an adult. Although I do remember there was some kind of scandal with him and Jennifer Lawrence. They were dating for a little while and I think he like released nude photos of her or did something super shady. So Sounds like he learned a lot from Hugh Grant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, maybe <laughs> he's not the best person. I don't really know the details of that scandal, but... This movie, he's a little boy. He's still very sweet and innocent. So I think it's okay to like him in this movie. But I think it's a fantastic film. It's sweet and very heartwarming. It's not really a rom-com. It's just sort of a kind of a touching movie about these two people who become friends. So one fun fact that I saw about this film is that Hugh Grant plays the lead, right? But they originally approached Brad Pitt to play the role that Hugh Grant ended up in. And he turned it down, and here's why. Part of the plot is that the male lead character pretends to be a single dad so that he can join this group of single mothers. Even though he doesn't actually have a kid, he wants to date single moms. Well, yeah, they're the perfect uh, mate for him, right? They don't have any connections. He can use them and lose them. Yeah, I guess that's what he, that's how he thinks of it in his mind is that they're, you know, going to be hesitant to get into serious relationships because they've got a kid to worry about and they just want like a quick fling and that's perfect for him. So Brad Pitt thought that he was so good looking that no one would believe that he would have to pretend to be a single dad in order to meet women. I I think he is a good (laughs) analyst for plot holes. Yeah, I think he's right. I mean, I guess so. Although, good grief, how big of an ego do you have to have to feel that way? I don't think Hugh Grant would have to go to those steps either. Yeah, I don't either. But Hugh Grant did it. And Tammy he does a really good job in this role. So It was all right. <laughs> uh, I think it's a great movie. It's based on a novel written by Nick Hornby, 
who has written a lot of uh, novels that ended up being turned into movies. I think High Fidelity was another famous example. And then he wrote a nonfiction book called Fever Pitch, which became a movie with Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. So yeah, he's definitely no stranger to the big screen writing things that end up in Hollywood. Well, the movie was successful. I think it did about $130 million at the box office. So it wasn't, you know, this new Top Gun movie good, but it did all right. <laughs> yeah, it did pretty well. And I feel like it's had a little bit of staying power. It's not like a classic or anything that like everyone has seen, but it still holds up over time, 20 years later. So in the middle of the movie, Hugh Grant gives the little kid character a CD by Mystical, which I appreciated as a fan of hip hop. What's your favorite Mystical song? I mean, the only one I know is Shake Your Ass. I feel like he's not great as a solo artist. No offense, Mystical. Um, I think he's out of prison at this point. I, I think he oh, no. got himself into a little bit of trouble back okay. in the day. Cool, yeah, he's, cool. not, he's not exactly an ideal role model. Mm-hmm. However, he's really good as like a secondary artist, somebody to go lay down a verse in the middle of a song. Like my favorite mystical work, I think, is his collaboration with Ludacris on the song Move. Mm, that is a great song. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. fair. That's 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 mystical right there. <laughs> All right. Well, he's, he just moved up a few notches in my book. What I did think was weird is that Hugh Grant gives the kid a CD player. Hugh Grant's doing all right financially here, and the kid is definitely not. Why not an iPad? iPod, excuse me. Yeah, that's true. In 2002, iPods were totally a thing. Yeah, they came out in October 2001. He definitely, I suppose this was a Christmas 2001 gift, roughly, if the movie came out in 2002. Yeah, maybe that's true. It was just a teensy, teensy bit too early for an iPod. Come on, Hugh Grant. Splurge for the iPod. (laughs) So I guess we can do kind of a high-level plot summary. Yeah, I don't, while Youth Day has staying power, I don't think that many people saw this. Oh, I think a lot did. But in any event... So Hugh Grant plays somebody who's in his late 30s and who has never had to work a day in his life, never held down any kind of a real job. And we'll get into the reasons for that as we move through the episode. But he is kind of isolated in life. You know, for so many people, their social network comes from their job. And so he doesn't have that. So he does have some friends and, you know, he dates quite a bit. We see that. But he doesn't have any real meaningful relationships in his life. So... He kind of stumbles into meeting this young boy through part of his scheme of pretending to be a single dad. And Marcus is what, about 12, 12 years old, I would say? I mean, really immature for that age, but probably. (laughs) He's about 12. And Marcus just sort of takes a liking to Hugh Grant. And he's, Marcus's character, the the 12-year-old, he's going through a lot of stuff in life. There's some pretty heavy things going on in his world. And... Hugh Grant's world just seems kind of like footloose and carefree. And I think Marcus is very attracted to that. And so they end up spending a decent amount of time together. They watch TV together and they go shopping together and they just build this very sweet and innocent relationship where they kind of become friends and hang out a lot despite their 26 year age gap. So it's kind of about how Hugh Grant's character slowly opens up and lets more people into his life because of his friendship with Marcus. And that's, yeah, kind of the movie in a nutshell. Yeah, well, why don't we jump in and learn a little bit more about Hugh Grant's character, Will, as he kind of sees the world a little bit differently than most people do. In my opinion, all men are islands. And what's more, now's the time to be one. This is an island age. A hundred years ago, for instance, you had to depend on other people. 
No one had TV or CDs or DVDs or videos or home espresso makers. As a matter of fact, they didn't have anything cool. Whereas now, you see, you can make yourself a little island paradise. So he's got all these cool gadgets. We hear the beeping there at the end. It's like some of his kitchen gadgets and... But no iPod. <laughs> no iPod just yet. I'm sure pretty soon he's going to be getting one. But yeah, he basically is giving us his philosophy on life here. You don't need people in your life anymore. Money and movies and video games and music, like that's all taken the place of people. So what is your take on that? Do you think it's good to live this sort of island lifestyle that he's touting here? I mean, it's got to be nice to have a private island that you can go to from time to time when you want your own thing. If you're a bit of an introvert, not being stuck in the fray with everybody else sounds great. But to live there all the time? To be that isolated? No, that sounds terrible. I do think he's right that technology today certainly has made it to where you can engage substantially less with other folks than you had to in the past, right? You needed to be part of some sort of a community to get your basic needs met a long time ago. And today, even in 2002, there are more and more things that you could do on your own, tools to help you have an enriched full life with advances in technology and less requirement to engage with other people. So I do think he sees it correctly from that perspective. Yeah, I think he's a thousand percent correct that we are living in kind of an island age and all of the technology and the advances that we have really allow us to fill the role that other people used to play with money. We can have gadgets do a lot of things for us instead of asking friends for help. Or we can hire somebody to do something for us instead of having a community of people that we look to to help us. So it's very true that money really can replace having a big community. I think on the flip side, if you are someone who doesn't have as much money, or if you're someone who's saving towards financial independence and you're hoping to retire early, having a big community or network of people really can reduce the amount of money that you need to live a happy and healthy life because people can fill that same role that money would fill for you, right? You can rely on your friends to do things like dog sit for you or have a community of people who's like, hey, if somebody needs to redo part of their house, we'll all get together and help. And then the next time somebody else needs to do it, we'll all go and help with that person's house and then and so on down the chain, right? Yeah, your network is definitely an asset. It's funny, we were at a little get together just yesterday and I was talking to a lady who is remodeling her house. And this group of friends has a number of people who are quite handy and interested in home remodeling and home improvement efforts. And she asked several people how they would handle this one particular problem and was able to give them like show them pictures and get their take on some stuff. She was able to source a bunch of, I don't know if we should call them experts, but a lot of unique opinions and good ideas from a group of people that gave her a lot of thoughts and how she could save a little bit of money and how she could end up with a better finished product in her home remodeling effort that she was struggling with. Like, how cool is that? She had a group of friends that were able to literally save her money. And I think our network is an asset all the time and in all kinds of different ways, whether it's talking to I mean, I'm focusing on problems like improving your home or repairing a car, but there are so many other things where people have great ideas. Like, we all have to eat. We have friends that are amazing cooks, and it's been so much fun to have them teach us how to do things so that we can improve our own culinary lives and do our best to imitate their genius. 
Yeah, it's so true. I mean, we really do have a great network of people here. I tend to knit things for people that I care about. I give piano lessons to people that I care about. Carly, you've never knitted anything for me or given me a piano <laughs> lesson. That's because you don't want either. But uh, now that you've said that, you're getting scarves out the wazoo. Oh and we're going to sit down at the piano for like an hour when we're done with this episode. Uh, no, but I mean, for people who do want to learn piano or who do get excited about handmade sweaters and scarves and stuff, um, that's something really fun that I feel like we can give to people. And in return, we get usually food. We get lots and lots of food because <laughs> everyone we know seems to be like a world-class chef around here. It's kind of embarrassing. We can't live up to it. But yeah, I, I think of our network as not just something that enriches our lives and that's wonderful and enjoyable, but genuinely is like almost a financial asset. We have people that we can rely on when things get tough and vice versa. We, we love to be there for our friends when they need us. So I do think he's really missing out on that whole aspect of life. And as we're going to learn, he does have a lot of money from kind of an odd source in his life. But he's, uh, he's using it to replace something that I think can actually be a heck of a lot more rewarding than just having those dollar bills. Well, yeah. I mean, if we look at the real world, people drift into this island situation on their own all the time. And I don't think it's an intentional choice. It's like they retired or they got laid off or their kids graduated and, and moved out of the house and they no longer have the social outlet of taking their kids to soccer practice or going to the cheerleading thing or, you know, being at the water cooler every day with their coworkers. And they do get into this island mode and they're sort of self-reliant on their own, in their house, dealing with their gadgets because their lifestyle suddenly, for whatever reason, has less of a social layer to it. And it's kind of tragic, right? People lose a lot. It, it leads to some people to spiral into some pretty terrible depression and uh, just less healthy efforts and activities than they would normally be a part of. Yeah, it's so true. And people find different ways of coping with that. So let's take a listen to our next clip where we hear about how Will, played by Hugh Grant, kind of structures his day and thinks about how to fill his free time. The important thing in island living is to be your own activities director. And I find the key is to think of a day as units of time, each unit consisting of no more than 30 minutes. Full hours can be a little bit intimidating, and most activities take about half an hour. Taking a bath, one unit. Watching Countdown, okay, uh... one unit. Web-based research, two units. Exercising. Three units. Having my hair carefully disheveled. Four units. It's amazing how the day fills up. And I often wonder, to be absolutely honest, if I'd ever really have time for a job. How do people cram them in? <laughs> how do people cram them in? So there's lots to talk about with this clip. First of all, there's a couple of like visual puns that you're missing with the audio clip. So the first is when he talks about doing web-based research. That's porn. <laughs> the second is when he talks about exercise. You might have been able to tell from the click of those balls that you heard there. He's, he's talking about playing billiards. That's his exercise. So Carla, the website that he was on, I think it was a picture of like the Pope mobile or something like that. And he was typing in a URL. I don't remember the name of it. I looked this up a few weeks ago. I think it was something like 
celebrities with see through tops.com <laughs> or something like that. Apparently, this is a real website and it has a picture of the Pope Mobile, like it was on a screen in the movie. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, it sounds like a great website. Who, want, who doesn't want to see a Pope Mobile? I haven't been, I haven't been Googling that. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, so he's talking about how he fills his days, right? So let's go down the list. He talks about um, eating meals, watching TV, bathing, playing, playing billiards, yeah, taking a bath, uh, going to the, the hair appointment. I can't imagine he gets his hair done every single day. Surely, I don't think he's that wealthy. Yeah, surely he's not talking about getting his hair done for two hours a day, right? He calls that four units. Each unit is half an hour. We got to get there. Got to get back. I sp- okay, I suppose that's true. Still, I don't think I've ever spent two hours on my hair in any capacity. Oh, we we know, Carla. <laughs> we know. Uh, fair enough. Um, but so that's those are the things that he's doing with his time, right? And I have to say, I don't feel like those are the best choices for him because he doesn't seem to get any real challenge or fulfillment out of any of those activities, right? These are all very passive activities, maybe except for playing billiards, which is a legitimate hobby that, you know, people can get really, really into. He doesn't seem to be that into it. It's just sort of something he does passively to to pass the time. And I think that's kind of the mentality that, is that seems so off-putting about the way that he lives his life is he's literally just passing time. Well, I think for somebody in his late thirties, he's doing what many people vision and what they have in their heads is what their retirement is going to be like when they're in their sixties or seventies. And I think what happens to most of them is they realize that this isn't quite as fulfilling as they hope for. And they look for something else. But I do think when many people hang it up, they have some adventurous travel or they take on some new challenges that they're really excited about or they dig deep into a hobby that they've been interested in. And then it kind of slows down and they get into a rut of watching TV and doing the same thing and being on an island like this and being so isolated and filling their day with things that just don't ultimately add up to anything that would make them particularly excited. Yeah, I think you have to be really, really careful whether... You're striving for financial independence at a young age, like we see this character having at age 38, um, and apparently his entire life, since he's never worked, um, or you're doing it at a traditional age of like 65 or 70, you've got a plan for how you're going to spend your time and be really proactive about going out and finding challenging things, rewarding things. The thing that most people seem to have in common is that any time where you're giving of yourself, you're helping somebody else accomplish something, that's where you get the biggest sense of fulfillment and just like true happiness seems to come from that. So I think a lot of retirees who do it well, that's where they kind of land is some sort of semi-career or just volunteer work that has them giving back in a meaningful way. I think there's a lot of value and intentionality. Inertia plays a bigger role than we ever think about. And there's a lot of value in planning your days. If you just look at the two of us, we're not above having a wasted weekend, right? This happens to us periodically where we don't have anything planned. We don't really have any particular ambition or drive or something we're excited about doing over weekend. Maybe the weather's a little bit dismal or gloomy. We will end up laying on the couch 
on the Saturday morning, watching some program that we're excited about with the thought of maybe doing something more worthwhile in the afternoon. And then before you know it, it's dinner time and the day has passed us and we haven't made very good use of it. It's so easy to fall into that rut. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people on their regular weekends when they, you know, have an extended break without any work or when they retire. If you don't have a plan, if you don't step back and say, how am I going to use my time intentionally and strategically? You're going to just fall into a rut or just you're going to go wherever the wind takes you. And often that's nowhere. Yeah, I think that's very true. There's so many people in the FI community who just seem to be like, go, go, go all the time, 100% of the time. I can't imagine having a lazy day where, you know, we just end up like watching movies all day. But you and I are more human than that. And that's definitely a trap that we have fallen into from time to time. So I think one, being honest about it is always good. And two, trying to intentionally think about, okay, how can I plan for trying to minimize the number of days that I have doing that? Now, maybe you're somebody who really enjoys doing that occasionally, and you want to plan for days when you get to do that sometimes. And I, I totally sympathize with that, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But I do think it can become problematic if that's just your default, and you don't take the, the time and effort to plan for something that will be more rewarding, that you'll look back on in 10 years and think, man, I remember the weekend we hiked that beautiful mountain, or that we did that project in the yard, or even just, you know, took a lovely walk with our dog and came back and cooked a lovely meal. Those are the kind of memories that will last and make you feel like you've had a rich, wonderful life. So Carla, you are about the same age as Hugh Grant's character in this movie. I'm exactly the same age. So you have left your big law job, right? Mm-hmm. How do you do your days differently or better than Will does in the movie? And and what are your strategies for that? Well, I only spend one hour at the hairdresser a day. Nice. <laughs> uh, I think I have found a lot of different activities that I'm really, really passionate about. So I don't have to like motivate myself to get up and do those things. How much web-based research are you doing? You know, that's personal, Robert. I can't, I can't comment on that. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, I have found activities that I am genuinely excited to do. So just to take a couple of examples, right now um, it's like gardening season here. So I'm really excited about going out and checking on our vegetables all the time. And I get so happy when I see like a vegetable sprouting or even just the leaves, the little seedlings coming up out of the ground. Sidebar here, Carla planted some pumpkins not long ago. They're starting to turn into something real and she is over the moon about it. <laughs> it's very exciting. Um, so I'm so pumped to go out and like check on them and water them and weed around them and just take care of them, you know? Um, I'm really, really into the piano. I teach a few people and love to play and practice pieces that I'm working on. So I don't have to like drag myself off to the, off the couch to go sit down at the piano. I can't wait to get to the piano. Um, I read a lot. I learn Spanish. I have a Spanish group. I do a lot of knitting. And on top of all that, I do have a, a kind of job, like a part-time job. I have my own law firm um, where we do immigration work and we take cases that we're really passionate about. So I have some kind of, quote, real work to do as well. 
So I feel like I have a pretty rich and wonderful life. And I will say, in spite of all those fun and wonderful things that I have going on, I still kind of think, well, maybe I'll go back to school or maybe I'll turn my, you know, piano teaching into like a real business and get that off the ground and going because it just feels good to create something and to help people and to learn new things. So I, it doesn't feel too hard to not live the kind of life that we see uh, the Will character living in this movie. So my life is very much structured by the work week at this time. Right. And that's what drives me every day. I kind of know what I'm going to be doing when I get up because I have a calendar of appointments and goals that I want to accomplish for the day. Do you do that? Do you have like a it's Tuesday and I'm really excited to complete these three things? Or is it more of a free flowing experience for you? It's a little bit more free flowing. I do have like a certain number of fixed appointments in the week for piano lessons and some work appointments and like our Spanish group comes over on Thursday night. So I do have some things that provide a little bit of structure. And I will say, I do think that's really important to have some set appointments um, so that you don't get completely sucked into just whatever, whenever, Um, at least for me, I think that's a good idea. But no, I get to kind of wake up every morning and think, okay, I have this that I have to do at like two o'clock today. I've got X number of hours between now and then, you know, that leaves me this amount of time to go take our dog for a walk, which is usually pretty long. Um, And, you know, eat meals. That is a unit of time that I guess I do think about in the same way that he does cooking dinner and dealing with meals. Um, And then I've got, you know, this amount of free time. I can sit down and work on piano for a long time, or I can do some chores around the house. I mean, I, I do have a lot more flexibility than that. Okay. Well, it sounds like you use your units of time a little bit better than Will does. Let's jump into our next clip where we hear a little bit about some of the people in Will's life who maybe are, are, are of the same opinion that we are, that he could be doing it a little bit better. Any desire for a family of your own yet? I'd rather eat one of Barney's dirty nappies. Yeah, not really. I'm sort of all right as I am. I oh, please, what the hell? What does that mean? Oh, please, what? Well, <laughs> look at yourself. You're 38 and you've never had a job or a a relationship that lasted longer than two months. I wouldn't exactly say you were okay. I mean, I I would say you were a disaster. (laughs) I mean, what what is the point of your life? Bloody hell. Um, Well, you're probably right. There's probably no point to my life, but um, thank you for bringing it up. So do you think he's really a disaster? I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh, by the way. Yeah, it is pretty harsh. Although, I, as friends, I think we have a duty to help people see their blind spots. So a brutal honesty, there's a time and place. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Uh, I would not call it a disaster. I mean, he's not actively hurting anybody, including himself, really. Like, he's yeah, just... He's fit. He seems reasonably healthy. I suppose. Yeah. He's, he's just sort of flat and uninspired in life, which is not good. But I wouldn't call it a total disaster. I mean, there are like, you know, like a drug addict or somebody who's um, like an actu- actually hurting other people. Someone who's a criminal. Their life, I'm, yeah, maybe you could call that a disaster. Although even then, I would never give up on anybody. But I don't know. I do think she's being a little bit harsh here. But I think the bigger question to talk about is what is the point of his life? What's the point of my life now that I don't have like a full-time job anymore. 
what is the point of anybody's life? Is it just to have a job? Is the whole point of your existence to work as an energy engineer? Yes. You have me pegged. <laughs> That's it? No. I, I, I mean, gosh. I think everybody would be better off if they took the time to write some sort of a mission statement about their lives. That said, I've never done that. Uh, but if you had written some sort of mission statement, the tactics that you would use to go accomplish it would evolve over time in the different seasons of your life, whether you're starting a family or in school or changing careers or approaching retirement. That The way that you would move towards that mission statement and take action on the things that really drive you towards your broader goal will evolve. If, you, if you're putting me on the spot to ask what the point of life is or what the meaning of life is or what it's all here. <laughs> it's just a you know casual question. Yeah. What's the point of life? I don't know. I mean, to me, it is to make the most of it for you and your surroundings, right? It's to go and do things which enrich you and bring you joy without doing so at the expense of others. And hopefully part of that is lifting others up and helping them to have a better experience at the same time because but it just is mutually beneficial for all of you. Yeah, that is my mission statement is enjoy life and help others enjoy life. I don't know what more you can say about the purpose of life. Nobody knows exactly what we're doing here, right? Nobody knows exactly how we got here from a point of the Big Bang or before. So there's lots of existential questions about life that I feel pretty certain won't get answered in our lifetime. So I think part of life is just accepting that mystery and trying to not get too bogged down in the mystery, but enjoy what we do understand and what we do have with our limited time here. So we've done some podcasts lately on shows like Bridgerton and Pride and Prejudice, mm -hmm. shows that were set in a different era. And in those eras, it was like, look, you were frowned upon for working. Here we are in this 2002 movie and Hugh Grant is being frowned upon for not working. Like, when did that change? What, what's the cause of that? So in the Bridgerton era, it was basically considered like the gentlemanly thing to do to live off the backs of someone else's work, right? And today we really look down on that. I would say that changed probably around like the early 1900s. That's kind of when the whole Regency era England model started to crumble a little bit. And today it's seen as much more admirable to work in basically terrible conditions, right? <laughs> to like slave away all day, every, every day in an office and take limited time off, limited time with your family. Like that is the model that a lot of people aspire to today. So I do think there's awful things about both of those models, right? Certainly awful to live off the sweat of someone else's labor, but it's also pretty awful to live in a model where you're being pushed to work like insane hours yourself and not get enough of a break. So I would argue that that's changing a little bit in society today. I think a lot of more progressive companies are offering more flexible work arrangements, right? They, they realize that people have different goals and ambitions and family setups, and there are more places where you can get a part-time job. I, mean, I think that was part of the appeal of the gig economy to so many people. They could find something that worked for them and engage in it to the level that made sense for their work-life trade-off balance that made sense for them. But even big companies, I think more and more offer roles that you could take in some sort of part-time capacity 
if the full-time contribution is not up your alley, if it's not what brings you joy, there are a lot of places that can hire you to do productive things that you'd be excited to do for, I don't know, four days a week, 24 hours a week, whatever it is. Yeah, I do think we're like right at the beginning of seeing that major shift in our culture because even just five years ago, I don't feel like that was the case at all. COVID has obviously had a lot to do with that, right? It really pushed people to value flexible work arrangements and work from home. And then once they had a taste of it, it's like, oh, I don't want to go back to having to have these long commutes and spend so much time at the office. Isn't there a country in Europe right now that's piloting a four-day-a-week work week to see what the effects are? I feel like I read about that, but I can't remember what country it was. Yeah, I don't either, but I'm post-episode. Let's look into this. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something that um, is happening a lot faster than I ever would have predicted just a few years ago. But I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where attitudes head. I hope we don't get back to as much of a Bridgerton Pride and Prejudice, basically like a Regency era England. Where there's some wealthy elites who have earned money over time and basically are living on the backs of some wage earning laborers who yeah. keep the economy flowing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for one thing, that was such a teeny tiny percentage of the population that was able to do that. And everyone else was really suffering as a result of it, or at least was suffering alongside of it if it wasn't a direct result of those people being so wealthy. So yeah, I hope we don't go back to that, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where things head. I have to polish up my crystal ball. I can't quite see that far in the future. All right. Well, good luck with that. I hope you find the right chemicals and cloth. Uh-huh. So let's move into our next clip now where we finally, finally learn what is the source of this guy's wealth? How is it possible that he's never had to work a day in his life? So uh, what do you do, Will? Me? Will? Um... There were already too many lies to keep track of, so I told the truth. Nothing. Oh, well, before then. What do you mean, before I did nothing? Yeah. Uh, I did nothing. Well, so you, you've never worked? Well, I've done the odd day here and there, but, um... Huh? Crazy, isn't it? <laughs> oh, God, I was gonna have to tell her. No, well, what happened, in fact, was that my, um, dad uh, wrote a song in, um, 1958, and it's quite a famous song, and, um, I basically live off the royalties of that. So what's this song, then? Well, if you can live off it, we must have heard of it. Uh, it's, um, Santa's Super Sleigh. Oh, God, please don't sing it. Look who's coming round the bend. It's Santa and his reindeer friends with a ho, 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 and a hey, hey, hey. It's Santa's super sleigh. <laughs> it's a catchy song. I can see why why he would have been living off it all these years. Yeah, it definitely seems like the hit Christmas song that never made it here to the States. I don't, I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah, not a real song. We should clarify in case you were like, why haven't I heard of that song? It's because it doesn't actually exist except in this movie. Um... So I think this is pretty fascinating that he could live off the royalties of this, but I, I, we have lots of questions. <laughs> First, let's start with whether it's actually possible to live off of the royalties of a song, like how much money can you expect to make if you write a hit song? So I thought I would take us through the top 10 grossing songs of all time. Do you want to take a guess at number one? The, the Christmas songs or? No, just songs in general. Oh, gosh. Which could include Christmas songs, but doesn't doesn't have to. If I have to guess the number one grossing song ever, I don't know, Thriller. 
and didn't even make the top 10, Robert. That is terrible. Seriously? Think way more simple than that and something you would hear. Oh, happy birthday. There you go. Yeah, happy birthday is the most, the highest grossing song of all time with a lifetime earning of about $70 million. So not too bad, not too shabby for somebody who just sat down and wrote a song pretty quickly. I will say if, uh, if you've never written a song, I've written a couple, not super good ones. Um, but it, it really doesn't take that long. It's pretty wild that some of these people, they famously wrote these songs in like 15 minutes and that's your life's work. You know, that's what you do. Um, so I'll just quickly take you through the rest of the top 10 because you've definitely heard of all of them. And there are a couple of Christmas songs in here, which is pretty fun. So next up on the list, we have White Christmas, $66 million. Who's paying that? Like, where does this money come from? So it comes from several different sources. One, if it's featured in any kind of like movie or TV show, you've got people paying you for that. If it's played on the radio, you've got people paying for you for that. If it's, uh, what else would be public? You're buying a CD or something? Yeah. If you're buying a CD, you're obviously getting paid for that. These days, streaming, you can make money from that. But this is an important thing to know. Today, it is much harder to be one of these one-hit wonders that you can live off of for the rest of your life. Well, yeah, because people have better taste now. (laughs) Uh, Not because of that to the extent that's true, which I don't feel like it is. But um, (laughs) no, it's because you make such a tiny, tiny fraction of the revenue that comes from streaming. So it's basically becoming harder and harder to make it as a musician these days. And actually, it's better to be a songwriter than a musician because songwriters tend to get a bigger portion than the actual musicians do. Although the musicians can make money from touring, which is a different thing. Maybe you should be talented enough to do both. Oh, there you go. So, Happy Birthday, White Christmas, You've Lost That Lovin' Feelin' is number three. I wonder if Top Gun had a lot to do with that. Most definitely. Um, Yesterday by the Beatles. Okay, I was going to guess a Beatles song here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unchained Melody, which just kind of blows my mind. I was never a huge fan of that song. Was that in Ghost? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, Stand By Me, which is fun. That was the first song we danced to at our wedding, so that has a special place in my heart. Also, I really like the movie Stand By Me. Uh, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, another Christmas song debuting here. Every Breath You Take by The Police, which I did see that apparently Sting makes like $2,000 a day on Every Breath You Take. Now, we talked about Sting and Only Murders in the Building, and didn't we conclude that this was kind of a creepy song? It is a creepy song. It's definitely not a love song. People dance to this at their weddings and treat it like a super romantic song. Straight up about a stalker. Don't dance to it at your wedding. Okay. Um, Pretty Woman again like not my favorite song don't really get the appeal there and then finally the christmas song chestnuts roasting on an open fire what about mariah carey's all i want for christmas is you so i actually specifically did look up this song because it's such a famous christmas song that's very polarizing it's more modern love it or hate it i'm in the hate camp but uh apparently that makes about six hundred thousand dollars a year in royalties these days i I will say it has gone way up in popularity. Like when it first came out, I think in the 80s, not popular at all. And for some reason, just skyrocketed in like the last five to 10 years. I don't get it. It was featured heavily in Love Actually, another Hugh Grant film that's way better than this one. (laughs) So maybe that's what it was. Gotta be. That's gotta be it. Okay. Well, 
what I'm hearing you say is that if you do write a real Christmas hit song, it can make enough money for you to live off of it. I mean, I will say if your ambition is to be a one-hit wonder, based on this list, seems like your odds are best if you go for a Christmas song. So beyond the clip that we played, one of the funny things that happens in this conversation is Will is on this date with a woman and Marcus is somehow tagging along. Marcus, this kid, asks him directly, like, how much money do you make? Right? You're living off of these royalties. How much money is it? How did you feel about that? I mean, it's it felt so natural, and I thought it was a great thing to include in the movie because that's the kind of thing that kids do, right? They're so curious. And to be fair, so are the adults, right? You know that woman is thinking, huh, I wonder how much he's got coming in in royalties every year. Marcus, don't ask that, but Will, if you do want to answer. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. We all want to know. They don't tell us in the movie how much he actually makes. I don't have a real guess at it. But he, you know, lives a pretty comfortable life. It's obviously not nothing. I will say, I feel like it's kind of a risky thing to live off of unless he's saving a lot of it and has like a big nest egg now because that song could fall out of popularity, right? And then the royalties could dwindle. Yeah, what if his dad had a scandal and all of a sudden he gets canceled? Well, I'm pretty sure he's dead. That seems to be the implication. Sometimes dead people's scandals show up. Like, I mean, didn't Michael Jackson have a pretty negative thing that happened a handful of years ago after he'd already died? Did he? I don't remember this at Uh, all. Oh, I believe so. Yeah, I think there was a documentary that came out about him and opened people's eyes to things that they totally should have had their eyes open to before that. But nonetheless, I think his popularity, you know, diminished substantially after that, even after he was already dead. Well, I suppose that's possible. So uh, what I don't get is dad's dead, but Hugh Grant's character, Will, he's only 38. Like, What circumstance led him to never work? Right? When did his dad die? Like, it's, it's not as though his dad died while he was nine and he went and lived at an orphanage and then all of a sudden he inherited <laughs> his dad's royalty checks when he well, turned 18. I suppose that's possible. We don't actually know anything about his childhood at all except that his dad wrote a hit song when he was a kid. Right, but if, so if his dad died when he's like 30, then he had from when he was, you know, done with high school or done with college. We don't know what his educational past is, but he had some point as an adult where he would have just been what, like living off of his dad's royalties while his dad was still alive. It's not like that's that's pretty lame. Yeah, it seems like that must have been a very strange dynamic. Maybe he did pass away at a really early age. I don't know, but nothing about it seems easy to understand. There's a lot of questions left after we hear this explanation for where where his wealth has come from. So here's my question. Do you think his dad would be proud of him if he could see him from beyond the grave? I think he would hope for more for his son. I think he would be happy to know that what he had done has set his son up for this kind of lifestyle flexibility to be able to do whatever he wanted to with it. And he'd feel proud of himself (laughs) for that. I think he would be proud that his son generally isn't harming others and isn't like a drain on society. I don't know if he would be so disappointed in him that he would tell his son that there's more out there for you and the world would be a better place if you were going to contribute a little bit more than you are. But I definitely don't think he would ultimately, if he had to check a box in a secret vote, I don't think he would say he was proud of him in total. Yeah, he definitely doesn't seem to be making what I would think of as the most of his life. I will say everybody is different. And I think 
there are people in the Phi community who just genuinely want to kick back and enjoy life and not feel like they have to contribute anything else. You know, maybe they worked stressful careers and now they're at a point where they just want to soak it up and enjoy all of the things that life has to offer. And I don't think it's an evil thing to do. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just think you've got to be cautious about it because for a lot, a lot of people, that doesn't end up being the most fulfilling way to spend your time. So if you're in the percentage of people for whom it is fulfilling and rewarding, then great. But if you're not, then go chase something else. I agree. Well, let's move into our last clip where he's on another date-like experience and we hear him talking to someone else and I think he's given it a little bit different tactic. So what do you do? Well, I'm sort of um, taking a bit of time off at the moment. Sounds good, yeah. Yeah. Time off from what? Well, to be absolutely honest, um, time off from, from time off. In fact, the uh, interesting thing about me is I don't actually do anything. You don't do anything? Actually, no. Nothing? No. Wow. That's, um... Now, Rachel, darling. Yeah? East Coast or West Coast rap? Oh, God, I have there she was gone so before we talk about taking time off from time off i will say for everyone listening i'm pretty sure the only reason that i agreed to do this episode is because there are multiple interesting rap references (laughs) and let's talk about this east coast versus west coast rap carla where do you stand uh smack in the middle of the country i i don't have an opinion on this i like rap i like rap a lot but i'm not like super into it where i could tell you the details of like who lives where and what rivalries exist. And I just flat don't know. I'm crushed. (laughs) I'm so crushed. You can't possibly be surprised at that. No, I'm not even a little bit. Geography is not your strong point. It's okay. (laughs) Now, what I thought was kind of funny is that this movie came out in 2002. Like if this were the late 90s, sure. We can have an East Coast versus West Coast rap discussion and talk about whether or not, you know, uh, Puff Daddy and... Notorious B.I.G. are better than Snoop Dogg and Tupac and Dr. Dre. Like, you can totally have that kind of disagreement if you want. But it's 2002. At this point, the Gulf Coast, you know, the New Orleans rap scene has come about. You got Uh Cash Money Records. You got No Limit Studios. Uh Uh Nelly had risen to prominence. The whole... I do like uh, Nelly. Yeah, the whole uh, St. Louis rap scene had really come to prominence. Yeah. Uh, Eminem was a fixture in the hip hop community at this point. So Mm -hmm. Detroit and D12 are starting to pop. Sure. sure. Uh, Atlanta had come to surface at this point. You know, you got Outkast and all those guys. I mean, yeah. So I I feel like this was not a very timely (laughs) reference. I don't understand what was going on with the East Coast versus West Coast rap like five years too late. Mm. But anyway. Deeply troubling. I'm deeply troubled by this. I'm deeply troubled with the fact that you can't hang in this hip hop (laughs) discussion. Oh, gosh. Well, uh, setting the rap battles aside, let's battle over what what's going on in this conversation. So Hugh Grant has a little bit of a crush on Rachel Weiss, who he's meeting at this dinner party. And I just, the thing I find so fascinating about it is the way that he talks about what it is he does 
with his life. So we've talked before in the podcast about asking people what they do for a living, right? That's such a common question for people to ask. I will say she phrases it not as what do you do for a living, but just what do you do, which is also very common. But I do think that leaves the door open for him to just talk about what it is he does with his time and not necessarily how he gets a paycheck. So I think what's really crazy about this movie is, well, one, because of the way he lives his life, he really doesn't do that much with his life. Like, what what could he say in response to this? I watch TV. I do a lot of internet-based research. Yeah, I watch a lot of porn. <laughs> I play a lot of billiards. I get my hair done a lot. Like, those are the, the real answers to that question. Everyone does something, right? No one truly does nothing unless you're, like, in a coma. Well, at this point in the movie, why couldn't he say, oh, I've been dedicating a lot of my time to mentoring a young child who is coming from a home where a, a mother is suffering from mental health issues, and, you know, I, I'm able to provide a, a, a piece of stability in an existence where this kid is really struggling? Yeah, that's so true. At that point, he's really um, befriended Marcus, and they've been spending a lot of time together. So, yeah, I, there are ways that he could have phrased this a lot better. And I do think this is something that people in the FI community struggle with is what do I do? What do I say when people ask me what I do for a living? So he could have done a much better job of answering this question. Because I think if he were to tell the truth, I don't have to work um, because of some inherited wealth. But here's what I do with my days. That would be a much better answer. I think the problem is for him he doesn't feel good about the way that he's actually spending his time. He knows that it's kind of shallow and I think he's yearning to do something better. He just can't quite motivate himself to do it. So that's why he's kind of stuck and having a hard time answering this question. Yeah. I have to imagine that if you're going to tell people that you don't do anything and that's the way that you answer it and that's the way that you really feel about your life, it's going to have an impact on your relationships. And obviously he's excited about island life as he describes it, but the romantic relationships that he seems to crave, I imagine this is a difficult thing for them too, right? If you can't have joy in sharing what you do with your time, who's going to want to be around you? Like, what do you really bring to the table? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think ambition is an attractive quality and it doesn't have to be ambition to accumulate wealth. It just has to be ambition to have a, an enjoyable, challenging, fun life, right? So maybe you want to be, I mean, he's, he's in a perfect position to take on all kinds of creative pursuits that a lot of people wish they could do, but just can't afford the luxury of the time to chase those things. So he could be writing songs himself. Maybe he inherited some of his dad's ability there. We know he does know how to play the guitar that's featured in the movie. So he could be a musician. He could be a writer. He could try to make it as an actor. I mean, there's all kinds of creative jobs that people would kill for that he's perfectly set up to do. And he's just not, as he says, he's, he's not really doing much of anything. I agree. He's definitely not making good use of his freedom. Yeah. Right. So and I, he has a rare gift, right? The opportunity to have this time to do what he wants with it. And he just isn't. Yeah. And I think that's going to make it hard for him to find a romantic partner. So I think also in the Viking community, that's something that people struggle with is thinking that potential romantic partners will look at them as 
lazy or just like wanting to live this crazy frugal lifestyle where you can never do anything fun, you can never eat out, you can never take vacations. And that's not true for, I think, everyone that we know in the fight community. They're still going out and doing those fun things. They're just doing them on a lesser scale or maybe not quite as often. So if you can't find a romantic partner, romantic partner who's okay with that, then I think you're looking in the wrong places because there's definitely folks out there who would be thrilled to have a more frugal lifestyle that's more focused on chasing time and big dreams like early retirement than the latest fashion or the latest restaurants. So he explains that he's taking time off from time off. And that made me wonder about real people in the real world and their vision for time off versus the reality of their actual experience and whether or not they mesh. What do you think? Yes. So her response to that when he says, I'm taking some time off right now is, oh man, that sounds really good. Right. And I think so many people have that dream of, I want to get to a point where I can take a lot of time off. Time is so wonderful and I want a lot more of it. And it is really wonderful. And I think that's a great dream to have. But as we've been talking about, if you don't have a plan for how you're going to use it, you can kind of get lost in that sea of time and end up not really enjoying your life as much as you'd hoped for. Agreed. I I think it's so common, right? We know people who have retired early and they've kind of run into that same problem. They thought that getting away from a job and having all this time would create such a change in their life that they would immediately be happy. And instead it required a lot more intentionality than they ever expected. Yeah. I think early retirement is truly the ultimate dream in life. And it is every bit as fantastic as I thought it was going to be, but it still requires work in order to make it fulfilling and enriching. I mean, life goes on, right? We still have chores to do. We still have to keep ourselves busy and feeling challenged uh, and entertained in a real and meaningful way and not just entertained by watching TV all day. Those kinds of things can lead down a, a pretty dark path. So it it takes work to enjoy time off. I think that's kind of the takeaway for me here. Yeah. Well, my takeaway is have a family member write a successful Christmas song Make sure you're in their good graces enough to get a nice inheritance <laughs> and then do it better than Hugh Grant. Yeah, that's not a bad way to live. I mean, a lot of people would be envious of it, but he could do so much better. And I think by the end of the movie, he's he's on a track to do a lot better. So it's not a bad takeaway. So everybody go find the nearest guitar, piano, what ukulele, whatever, and just crank out a Christmas song because clearly this is the pathway to wealth. Indeed. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for tuning in today and we'll catch you next time. Take care.